Good morning. It is good to see everyone here in Maryville, and hello to everybody in Knoxville today. If you've got a Bible, let's go to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. How many of you remember uh, the first day on the job? Maybe it's uh, a long time since you started, but uh, that first day on the job is pretty important. I mean, you're super nervous, you're excited, you know, there's a lot of anxiety, you want to do a good job. Uh, it's more important than school because now a paycheck is at stake, and, and uh, so you, you want to have a good experience and, and put your best foot forward, but some of you have stories of not so good first days, like you you have a bad story. It was a bad start uh, on the job. It was like the one story I read about a guy who, uh, he said, I got mugged on my first night as a pizza delivery guy. <laughs> he's delivering a pizza to, the, uh, to uh, this apartment complex, and as he's walking, two guys jump him, beat him up, take his pizza, and take his money, and so not, not so hot. Um, I remember my first day on the job at a church uh, in Louisville, Kentucky, when my wife and I had just gotten married, and I was in seminary, and uh, this was an internship, and so I was young, and I was on this day meeting some of the pastors, and uh, they invited me to this staff room. I walk in, this massive table with all these executive chairs, you know, are around, and so I'm super intimidated and shaking hands and uh, sit down for this meeting, and as as I'm sitting there, another couple of guys walk in, and so, you know, I had to stand up. You know, men don't shake hands sitting down. You got to stand up to shake a hand, right? So stood up and shook, shook this guy's hand, and what I didn't know is that the chair that I had been sitting in was on wheels, didn't register, and not only that, but the floor of this particular staff room was like this really slick, glossy like, um, uh, you, could, you could skate on this floor. It was so slick. I don't know who polished these floors, um, but I'd love to talk to him and, and, and ask him why he didn't let me know what was going on with the floors this day. And so I stand up to shake the guy's hand. I nudge my chair, right? And because of the polished floors, the chair is no longer in the vicinity. I don't know this. So as I go to sit down about midway through the sit, it hits me that I should be sitting by now. <laughs> and I wasn't. And so, you know, in my desperate attempt, I'm reaching out for the table like I'm Spider-Man. I'm going to stick the, you know, the hold here or like Wolverine. I'm going to jab my claws into the table. But there was no hope. I fell and I fell hard in the room erupted in laughter. <laughs> it was so humiliating and embarrassing. In fact, if you've been at Foothills for a long time, you've never heard that story. Because <laughs> I, I, it still pains me to this day, the humiliation that I had. But that was a bad first day on the job experience. Please email me this week. Let me know your bad experience so I can laugh at you. Um, I would love that. Hey, at least I didn't get mugged, right? That would have been really bad. And you know who else had a really bad first day on the job experience? Anybody? Come on, we're in church. It's either God, Moses, or Jesus. Yes, Jesus had a really bad first day on the job. It's in Luke chapter four, and we'll talk about it today. You'll remember the story from the last couple of weeks. Pastor Alex did a fantastic job a couple of weeks ago, really 
uh, proud of him. And last Sunday was incredible to have my dad here to, to, to preach. That was great. If you missed it, I encourage you to watch those online. But Jesus had just been baptized by John the Baptist, signifying the beginning of his ministry. Uh, but then he immediately goes to the desert. He's tempted for 40 days. He overcomes the temptations of Satan. And he, after this, he leaves in power, the scripture says, and he begins his public ministry. So what we're gonna read here in chapter four, verse 16, is the first day of his public ministry. And it wasn't such a great day. Um, let's read it together. The first thing here in verse 16, it says, and he came to Nazareth, uh, where he had been brought up. That was his hometown. That's where he grew up as a kid. And as was his custom, this was that habit for him. He did this all the time. As was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. So Jesus is saying to us today that it was his custom, it was his habit that every week he would go to church, basically. Right? His life was characterized by his consistent presence with God's people on the Sabbath. And so if you wanna take some notes, the first thing I think we have to recognize is that the Lord would call us to engage in the life of God's church. Jesus was committed to God's people and God's gathering. You and I, if Jesus needed it and was committed to it, then obviously you and I need to be committed to this as well. Now, the Jewish people gathered at that time in purpose, uh, in person together on the Sabbath, which was Saturday. And the word synagogue just simply means gathering place. And so uh, the synagogue was different than the temple. There was one temple that was in Jerusalem. In the temple, that's where animal sacrifices would take place. You would have to go there to make your sacrifices. But synagogues were in various places all around and they served as gathering places for Saturday worship. And so much like we gather today, they would gather for teaching of the scripture. They would gather for fellowship and worship and prayer, very much like we gather today on Sunday. Now we gather on Sunday because the early church gathered on Sunday uh, to signify uh, that was the day that Jesus rose from the grave. It doesn't really matter what day we choose it could be Saturday night, it could be Sunday morning like we do, it could be Sunday night, it could be Wednesday night. But, but the point is that we have a custom of gathering together, and we do. And so it's Sunday mornings for us at FC, and so we gather. It's one of the most important spiritual habits that you'll ever develop, attending church regularly. Some days it may not be your favorite choice of music. Some days the sermon may not hit home. And attending church, though, is not about being a fan of the music or being a fan of the pastor, Sunday morning is about worshiping Jesus, period. It's about you connecting your voice and your heart with the Lord. It's about loving him. It's about prioritizing your relationship with God to gather with God's people on the first day of the week, saying, God, I put you first in my week. It's me worshiping you. It's me praying to you. I get to build relationships with the people around me. I get to serve on Sundays. This is our spiritual act of worship as we gather here. So you are not a spectator today. You are the one that is actively showing God your love for him today. That's why it's important. I know there's a lot of sitting in rows, you know, and there's a lot of listening, just like what Jesus is doing on this day. 
But even listening to the word of God is an act of worship, to submit yourself to the word of God, to listen, but not just to hear, but to then go and do. That's the point of a sermon, not just to be, you know, your, your, your heart kind of fluttered or, or cry or have a good feeling. The point is that you would hear the message of God's word and that you would then apply it to your life. And when we do this on a consistent basis, uh, church attendance can change your life. One day you don't expect it, you're gonna hear a song, you're gonna have a conversation with somebody, you're gonna pray with somebody, you're gonna hear a sermon or message, and it's gonna change your perspective, and you never know when that's gonna happen. That's why every Sunday I love to come to church, and every Sunday I expect God to speak to me. I expect God to move in my life. When, when I expect God every week to move in my life, there's a far greater chance that I'm gonna experience his power in, in, in him showing up in a unique way in my life. If I show up not thinking about it, if I show up not expecting God, if I show up not really ready to hear the word, not really ready to sing, if I'm running in here you know, with a million things on my mind and I haven't slowed myself down, the chances of you hearing the living God begin to decrease because there's so much clutter in your head and in your mind. And so the practice of preparing yourself, the practice of being here is a huge part of your spiritual growth and your spiritual life. Now, I talk to people who say, the church hurt me. I have church hurt. And maybe someone in your past has hurt you. Maybe you're watching you know, from home today and maybe that's why you're watching from home because you're, you've been hurt and you don't wanna actually be in person. And so I get it. I, I like to remind people that I am a pastor's kid. I've been in church every Sunday of my life. I can count on, a, on, on one hand how many days I miss. On vacation, I find a church and I go to it. I'm a church nerd. I love it. I love to be in the presence of God. And so because I'm around Christians a lot, because I'm at church a lot, um, I can tell you from a very young age, a lot of people in church have hurt me. <laughs> They, they have condemned me, judged me. They have uh, humiliated me. I've got memories as four, of a four-year-old running in the hallways when I was supposed to be in choir and an old woman grabbing me by the neck and telling me I, I should know better because I was the pastor's kid. <laughs> That's the first day I realized that there are different standards for me than other people, right? And so I get it. Uh, people have hurt me. I don't wanna share you know, stories. I don't wanna minimize how you were hurt in church, I wanna recognize the fact that yes, that happens, but why does that happen? When we are around Christians most of the time, Satan is gonna use the people around us to try to tempt us to reject God's purpose for our life and to, and, and, and to steal, kill, and destroy our future. And if we're around Christians most of the time, guess who he's gonna end up using in your life? This is not girl math, this is real math, right? The percentages are, it's probably gonna be a Christian in your life uh, around you that's gonna hurt you if you're around a bunch of Christians. And so, you know, the chances are that's probably happened to you. But do we blame God's church for sin and Satan's activity or do we blame sin and the person that actually hurt us? See, I would, I would encourage you, and I know there's some deep wounds I know there can be some really deep wounds. So I'm not minimizing what happened. 
or what you've experienced, but I'm saying you can blame the church or you can, you can put the blame where it really needs to be, which is on a person, a sinful person that made sinful choices. There's a lot of Christians here in the room in Maryville. There's a lot of Christians in Knoxville watching and engaging, but, but there are also a lot of non-Christians in the room. And we don't, I don't know who, who's who, only God knows and only you know your heart and God knows your heart, right? So there's a mixture and there's going to be sin. Um, think about it like this and then we'll move on. You're like, Trent's one verse. We got a lot to read today. Yes, we do. But think about it like this. My mom, uh, she's in heaven today. But uh, when growing up, she always played the piano at uh, the churches that my dad was the pastor at. And so she was really good, self-taught, and she could play any hymn. Man, she could, she could, she could knock it out. And uh, she was really good. However, if I asked her to play Beethoven's Piano Concerto Number no. 3 in C minor, it would not go so well. It would not go so well, right? That just wasn't her cup of tea. That wasn't her lane, right? Um, maybe you could do that, but it just wasn't her. And so if she, you know, on a whim, you know, we just say, hey, just try, try your best with this. It, it wouldn't sound so great. And you know what I wouldn't do? I, I wouldn't blame Beethoven, for her performance, right? I wouldn't blame Beethoven's masterpiece for the way in which she was able to carry it out. You get the point here. God's masterpiece is the church, but we aren't gonna play it perfectly, right? So if you've been hurt, I wanna encourage you, don't, don't blame the church, blame sin, blame sinful people, and then begin to work through the hurt in a gospel-centered way. And when you begin to do that, and when you begin to engage in the life of God's church, then you will begin to experience the freedom that God offers to you and to me and all the benefits of what it means to be a part of God's family. And so come to church, be in church, uh, commit to be here on a weekly basis. God will bless you. Let's keep going here, verse 17. And then the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. So back then we didn't have bound books. Everything was scrolls. He opens up the scroll and he stands to read. Then he's gonna sit to teach. That was kind of their practice um, uh, as a rabbi. Verse 18, this is what he's reading. It's Isaiah 61. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And they began to say to, and he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Whew, powerful day, right? Today, as he's reading this prophetic passage from Isaiah, he is saying it is fulfilled. So what is he in fact saying? What is he meaning when he says this? Well, he says, I essentially am the Messiah, the one that you have been waiting for, right? I, I am the saving Messiah. The Lord has sent me. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. I am anointed. And so he's saying, God has sent me in his power. I've been sent by him to do what? The next line is to proclaim the good news to the poor. Who are the poor? People who don't have money, 
Of course, yes, those are, 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 that's obvious, but it's more than that. The poor are those who are spiritually poor, right? The religious elite look down on those who don't have religion, who are heathens, who are living ungodly. They, they're the bad ones, right? He's saying, I came for those who are poor in spirit, those who are lost and far from God. But it's even more than that. The, 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 the poor is every single one of us who think we are unworthy, who think we don't fit in, who think we don't meet the standard, who have mistakes that we think cannot be forgiven. He says, I have come for you. He goes on to say that he was sent to proclaim liberty for the captives and the recovery of sight for the blind. Who are the blind? Who are the captives? Yes, Jesus is going to physically heal some blind people, but it means way more than that. He's saying the gospel and, and, and his power is what releases us from the captivity of sin. Before we know Jesus and before he saves us, you are in bondage to sin. You are a captive to sin. You're blind to the truth in his way. That's why you look at some people in your life and you're wondering, what are they doing? That is so dumb, it is so stupid, can't they see? And the answer is no, they cannot see. They are blinded by the God of this world. And it's on the church of Jesus Christ to kneel on our face and ask God to open up their blind eyes, right? To receive sight through the gospel message and then we can find purpose then we can see the cross and the resurrection in all of its glory, find peace with God and understand his truth. But even as Christians, even as Christians saved by the grace of God, we still struggle with sin because of our flesh. And even as a Christian, we can be blinded and, and lied to by certain sins and, and believe certain lies in our life. Right, And so this is why we wanna ask God in the gospel of his truth to open up our spiritual blind eyes. When there is conflict, when there are problems, when, when, when things are not going well, you must always ask the question, God, open up my blind eyes to the sin that is in my life. Because every problem is rooted in a sin in your life. And it might be a stronghold in your life that, that maybe you learned from a father or a grandfather and it's a generational sin and he struggled with it and your dad struggled with it and now you struggle with it. And until the Lord opens your spiritually blind eyes, you're not gonna get it. That's why you can't fix your spouse. That's why you can't fix your kids or your boss or whoever because it's not in your power to open up spiritual blind eyes. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Jesus said, this is why I came. I came here to give people sight. I came here to give people sight. He says to set liberty at liberty, those who are oppressed. In other words, I, I, I've come to set the captives free. I've come to set those who are oppressed free. Who, who are the oppressed? Well, obviously all of us are oppressed. Right, We all fall into that category and we are in need of saving grace from God. You see, Satan will oppress you. His demonic forces will oppress you to uh, make your life miserable, to lead you to hell ultimately. 
The enemy will oppress you and he's committed to your failure. He wants you to fail. He'll tempt you to do something you think is fun, right? You think is gonna be good, but it will lead to failure. So he will oppress you. He'll oppress you through culture. Culture is, is, is he is the God of this world, right? He's, he's the leader of pop culture. And so culture will tell you and give you this constant uh, message that all you need is love. You don't need God. You don't need to turn from any kind of sin. Just be yourself. Just do things that make you feel good. You're in control of your life, so just do whatever. This is a message that will oppress you and is oppressing you, and some of you are blinded by that message. You will also oppress yourself because of your flesh. You you have sinful desires, and your sinful desires will, will begin to rule you. That old nature of sin will creep up and it will pull you away from God's will. You need self-control. You've got to learn how to tell yourself no. You've got to learn how to walk in the spirit. Jesus says, I will give that to you. I came to set you free from that oppression. I came to give you victory. I came to give you hope. I want to give you freedom. And I want to give you the power to overcome and to find joy in Christ. And the last phrase is to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus said, it is time. Today, it is fulfilled. Today, it is the Lord's opportunity to show his favor because I am the anointed one sent to preach the good news, sent to set the captives free, to heal the brokenhearted, to give sight to the blind. This is what he has come to do. And so today is the day of the Lord's favor. If you've been asking that God would favor you and give you favor this year, the good news is, yes, he wants to do that. In fact, we live in the time of the year of the Lord's favor. He wants to provide that to you. He gives us the opportunity to surrender to him today, right? So what does this mean for us? all of these statements. It means that Jesus is the Messiah, yes, but it means that we, wanna, we need to believe that Jesus is the bondage breaker. We need to believe that he wants to set you free. We need to believe that he can. We need to believe that he has forgiven us. We need to believe in our new identity. Right? We need to believe that he will open up your blind eyes. It is the year of the Lord's favor. The good news, the gospel, is that Jesus suffered and died on the cross in your place. He took the punishment that you and I deserved and God will look at his sacrifice and has looked at his sacrifice as acceptable to pay for your sin. So Jesus rose from the grave, defeats death and defeats sin and offers us life today. And that is offered to you right here, right now, today. I know it doesn't feel like you fit in. I know it might not feel like God can forgive all the mistakes that you have made. I I know that it might feel like you don't deserve it. You are the one that he proclaims today, the year of the Lord's favor. You are the one that he proclaims the good news to today. You might feel like your life is a mess, that nothing has worked out, but you are the one that Jesus proclaims the good news to. You you might feel like you've wasted your life, 
You might feel like, uh, you know, the lifestyle that you have lived is gonna ruin the rest of your life. You might be miserable today. You might be afraid that it's gonna get worse. It, It might be this idea that you're not good enough. And so you're afraid to trust God. Jesus proclaims the good news to you today. He will set you free. The choice is yours. Will you follow his path? Or will you continue to fight his will in your life? Believe that Jesus is the bondage breaker and he will set you free. He'll give you sight. And he'll begin to release you from the power of sin. Let's keep going here. What happens next in verse 22? And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown few things uh, that, that we see here. He preaches a, basically a one sermon, a uh, one sentence sermon, right? He reads the scripture. He sits down. He says, today the scripture is fulfilled. Amen. God bless you. We'll go home. <laughs> yeah. One sentence sermon. Some of you want me to try that. Um, how will they respond to this? Well, a couple of things here that we learn. The first thing we learn in verse 22 is that they're impressed by Jesus. They marveled at his words, right? So they're impressed by him in the very beginning. Right? A lot of people are impressed by Jesus. They read a little bit about him. Um, he's a very impressive guy. They read about the incredible statements that he made that impacts all of us, whether you believe in Jesus or not. I mean, pe- people read about him and have respect for him. In fact, every single major religion in the world actually uh, believes that, that Jesus was a good person, right? So there's respect there. They're impressed by him. Uh, you might be impressed by Jesus today, right? Great teacher, good moral man, great example for us. A lot of people are impressed by Jesus. How could you not be? But the gospel doesn't demand that we be impressed by Jesus and your sins will be forgiven. There's much more to it. That's why when you watched the Super Bowl last week and you saw that commercial called He Gets Us, Uh, right? You probably saw that. Um, If you didn't, hang with me. Basically, it's it's this uh, commercial that comes on that that was images of people that are usually on polar opposites ideologically, and 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 one person is washing their feet. So it's just images of one person washing another person's feet. It kind of closes with the priest washing the feet of um, man that's obviously they're trying to portray as gay. And so then it comes up, he gets us. And so I had a lot of people ask me, hey, what do you think about this? And, and so I'll tell you what I think, just my opinion. Um, so, you know, maybe the, 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 you know, the, the whole concept here is like, feels good. Uh, but the whole message, if you go to the website and read and watch the books, is just basically Jesus, I want you to be impressed by Jesus's love. And so immediately when I read this, this week, I was like, that's the commercial. Be impressed with how much Jesus loves you. Because when you go to the website, there's no gospel. There's no, here's how you become a Christian. There's no, like, Jesus died on the cross and you gotta 
turn from your sin to, to be saved. There's, not, there's none of that. It's just basically all about love and inclusion. And of course, Jesus loves us. But the gospel is not just Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's way more than that. The gospel is about Jesus saving people from sin and destruction. We have a problem. It is sin. It has separated us from God. Our destiny is hell unless something steps in. And the only thing that can step in is the cross and the gospel message. And so I don't like it. Um, <laughs> and, and I don't think it's helpful. And so we need more than just being impressed by Jesus. You need to surrender to Jesus. But if you take this note down in Matthew chapter 13, verse 57, it's the same story. Matthew's um, version of the story, he actually says that they were offended by Jesus in Matthew 13, 57. You can go look at that. And so they were offended by Jesus. Oh, we live in a world that's offended by Jesus, right? I mean, because when you dig into what he actually says, it's pretty offensive. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty, that's pretty exclusive. So that's offensive. Let's stick with the, you know, wash people's feet, which by the way, Jesus never told us to wash each other's feet. It was all an example. It was, it, it was a, the, the washing of the feet was Jesus showing them that he is able to forgive sins and, and there's some symbolism in this and, and, and that they are cleansed. And, 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 and then he's also saying, I have come to be an example. So you guys should serve each other, be a servant leader to each other, each other, not go into the community and randomly wash people's feet. That's gross. Like, thank God we don't have a foot washing ministry because I would have to do it sometimes and I would just not want to do it. I would probably leave the ministry. <laughs> like, just can't do that, right? The point is be a servant. And so totally taken out of context, but they were offended, right? And we live in a world that is constantly offended by Jesus. Some of you have been offended by Jesus and it's why you haven't taken a step to commit your life to him. You're offended that somebody would tell you how to live my life. I'll do what I want to do. How dare Jesus tell me how to live my life? They were offended. But then also, they demanded proof from Jesus. They wanted a sign. Look at verse 23. He knows their thoughts, right? He, he knows what they are thinking. And so he says, doubtless, you will quote to me this proverb. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking of this proverb that's very common at this time, right? I know you're thinking about the proverb that physician heal yourself. In other words, if you're so great, do something to prove that you are who you say you are. And then they follow up with, with saying, hey, do what you did at Capernaum. And in Capernaum, he did a lot of miracles. He healed Peter's mother-in-law, lot, lot, several miracles there. And so they're saying, give us proof. Give us proof, Jesus. Show us that you really are who you say you are. They're demanding this proof. Prove that you are the Messiah. Some of you are waiting on proof. You're like, where are you at, God? Like, I went through this. Where were you? I was alone. I asked you to step in. You didn't. Where are you at? Prove yourself to me, God. Some of you are, are resisting a commitment to Jesus and going all in with Jesus because you're not sure he's even real. You know, people talk all the time, give me proof that God is real. Give me proof that there is a God. And I cannot prove to you that God exists. Can't do it. Right? I, can, I can point to the evidence and, and I can reason with you why I think it is obvious that God exists. I can look to the order and design of the cosmos, of, of, of the world, and I can see that obviously it is in order 
There is specificity. It is creative and everything works perfectly. That, that, that to me is the greatest uh, proof that somebody designed and created this. It didn't just blow up and just finally start to work one day. Like that doesn't even make sense. When I look at my iPhone and all the apps and, and the music and the pictures and the videos and all the stuff I can, I can do with that phone, I, I don't look at that and, and, uh, and, and think, man, look at all the creativity and the order in that phone. Perhaps over millions of years, it just started to kind of melt together and just kind of swirl and then poof, one day, it was an iPhone. Of course not. You wouldn't believe that. You look at that and you obviously say, somebody created that and designed it. How much more complex and intricate is the human body? How much more complex is our world and the universe around us? It is obvious that there is a creator. My experience also tells me that life comes from life. A tree that is alive will produce seeds. Those seeds will fall to the ground and produce more trees. Life produces life. Human beings are alive. We produce life and babies are born. You don't get life from non-life. You don't get life from non-living things. Rocks are not alive. You don't, rocks don't have baby rocks. Rocks don't create, you know, more rock. That's not how it works. Non-life doesn't create life. I can't prove that God exists, but when I look at the evidence around me, it's obvious that there is an intelligent design creator that created all things. I can't prove that Jesus is the Messiah. I can't prove that to you today, but I can point you to the evidence. I can show you that if you, if you stick with us here at, at FC, I, I can show you what Jesus said about himself. If you stick with us through this series, we're gonna go through the entire gospel of Luke. Over the next several months, you're gonna learn a ton about what Jesus said about himself. Some of you are rejecting ideologies that you learned from people that don't go to church and, 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 and you've never really investigated Jesus himself. It blows me away how many people don't never read like what Jesus said about himself and hate him. They're offended by him, they reject him but they've never actually said what he, never actually read or examined what he said about himself. If you stick with us here, you're gonna, you're gonna do that and you'll get to choose if you're gonna trust in him. So don't ask God to prove himself to you. Just ask God to open up your eyes to the evidence around and I believe that he will. Jesus isn't gonna gratify their demand for a sign because he knows they already are rejecting him and he, he's not gonna continue to preach to them either. He goes into two stories in, in verses 25 to 27 to prove a point. He tells a story about Elijah and he said there was a famine and, and everybody was hungry and in need. And, and he goes to one Gentile widow and, and heals her and helps her. And he passes by all the other Jewish people that are in need. Then he tells a story about Elisha and how he was sent to heal a man with leprosy. Again, he passes uh, by many Jewish people who have le leprosy, but he goes to a Syrian man, a Gentile, and he, he heals him. And Jesus's point here is he's showing that these two Gentiles, the man with leprosy, the widow, are examples of faith. And he is saying that salvation, the gospel is not limited to the Jews. It's not limited to uh, the religious. He is saying that it includes all Gentiles. So, 
If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile, just to make sure all the young people are with me. That means you and me. The gospel is for all nations, all people. The promise of the Messiah is given to us. And of course, this is what made the Jews at this time extremely upset and mad. So what do they do? Well, they try to kill him. Bad first day on the job. (laughs) Somebody tries to kill you. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. They're angry. What are you talking about? Only the Jews can be saved. We're the people of God. We're the special people. We're the ones that, you know, get all the treatment. We're entitled. And Jesus is like, no, that's not the reality. If you reject me, I'll go to the next person who will accept me. And they rose up and they drove him out of town and they brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. Just push him off and kill him. But passing through their midst, he went away. Ninja Jesus. <laughs> we'll see this throughout the scripture. I don't, I don't know how, but as they are, this mob is trying to push him off the edge and kill him, he resists and he, in fact, gets away. And so what, what is their response? Well, their response is they rejected Jesus. Some of, that's where some of you are at. Some of you are in the place of rejecting Jesus. You don't wanna follow his path. You don't wanna do what he's called you to do. You want to figure it out yourself. Meanwhile, things are failing all around you and, and, and problems are overwhelming you, right? Not to say that when we follow God's path that everything is perfect. You know that. That's not going to happen. But when we, when we come to like rejecting Jesus in our life, it will feel like time and time again, things aren't working out. There's something missing. And what's missing is Jesus. So, you could commit your life to Jesus. You could commit your life to Jesus. This could be the day. This could be the day, Christian, that you commit to allow the Holy Spirit to open up the blind eyes that you've had. Maybe you need to give your life to Jesus. That's, that's huge. But maybe you're a Christian and the marriage problems this kind of problem, the financial problems, all these things are happening in your life because you're just doing them your way and you're not trusting God's way. And you're not seeking help. You're not looking in the scripture and you're just living in bondage. You know, you're, you're still a captive to old habits and, 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 and old, old things that are keeping you from experiencing the freedom that God wants you to experience. You could commit your life to Jesus. If you're a fan of the Matrix, uh, if you remember these shows, if you're my age, this was the jam back in the day. Thank you, one person. You and I will have a conversation. But so the whole idea, if you know who wrote the books and everything, like she she was basically like making Neo, the star of of the movie, the Messiah figure. So there's a part in the movie where, we're like, is he the one? Is he the, the guy? We're not sure yet. And then like he's in this hallway fighting the bad guy. And all of a sudden, it just, he just like becomes the one. Like it's like obvious and like the bullets are coming at him. They're firing all these guns and he's just like, and all the bullets like freeze in the air. You remember that scene? And back then that technology for a movie was like, oh, oh, who's the best, right? And then the bullets fall and he was like, he was like trying to fight and he was getting beat up all the time. And then all of a sudden when he became like this, 
the recognition of the one, he was just like fighting the guy with like one hand, you know, it's like all this kind of stuff. That was, the, that was the moment in the movie where you know he was the one. First day of Jesus's public ministry, this is the day that they recognize that Jesus is the one. Some of them rejected him. Some of them were simply impressed by him. Some of them, you know, wanted him to prove themselves and most of them reject him. But you and I get to choose. This, this is like maybe the first time you've read this passage of scripture. He is the Messiah. Jesus will set you free from the bondage that you feel today. He will release you from the captivity of your sinful thinking. He will open up your blind eyes to new spiritual realities. And he will make this year the year of the Lord's favor in your life if you commit yourself to him. Choice is yours. You can throw him off a cliff or you can bow down before him as your Lord and Savior. Let me ask you to bow your heads. If you are someone today, whether you're in Knoxville or in Maryville, or you're sitting at home watching this, maybe you're listening to this to your car, driving down the road. If you're someone who maybe for the first time is recognizing that you need to commit your life to Jesus, let me help you with the first conversation with him. If you truly mean this, this is, this is a step towards a commitment towards Jesus. Would you just recognize that, that you're a sinner to, to him? Just tell him this, God, I confess to you that I am a sinner. I've messed up. I realize it's broken my relationship with you. Jesus, I believe that the cross paid for my sin and I commit my life to you today. Forgive me, Jesus, come into my life, save me. I believe you rose from the grave to set me free from sin to give me a life of purpose and to give me heaven as my eternal home. This is a prayer and a statement that you have made to God today. We wanna celebrate that with you. We wanna encourage you to tell us, let us know, scan the QR code in front of you. Go to the care and prayer room today and let them know I just, prayed to ask Jesus to come into my life. I just committed my life to him. We will celebrate that with you and we will encourage you to take your next step of faith. For those in the room today that would say, I got a pretty good idea that my eyes have been blinded and I'm trying to work through this. I could use some prayer today, Trent. Anybody lift up their hand here in Maryville and Knoxville just say, that's me. Thank you for your honesty. Anybody else? struggling with some blindness, not sure what it is, need to wake up, need, to, need the Lord. I see you, sir. Thank you all over the room. Sure, everyone in Knoxville, let me pray for you. Father, you saw hands. This was an admission, Lord. I pray they, they see it for what it is. It's an admission that they need you.
And so, Lord, would you, Lord, we know you're on time. You're not late. You're never early. You're not busy. You're not getting stuck in a traffic jam. Lord, you are always on time. And so, God, would you be on time for these individuals that lifted their hand today? Would you open up their their blindness? Would you open up their eyes? Would you speak truth into their heart? Would you allow them the grace to be able to accept your truth? Would you allow them the grace to be obedient? Would you give them the grace, God, to to have self-control? Would you give them the grace, Lord, to see your truth for what it is? And Lord, would you give them freedom? Set them free, God, set them free. And help them to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Help them to seek you this week, God. Give us this blessing, hear us today, Lord. We trust you in all situations and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for watching this video. We'd love for you to like this video and leave a comment. We'd also like to encourage you to subscribe and click the bell so you never miss an upload from Foothills Church. To learn more about FC, you can go to our website, foothillschurch.com, or by clicking the link in the description below.